1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Libra Cristo War College, every Wednesday on Virgin Most Powerful. We thank you for joining us today. Our uh, 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 our fearless leader on the show, Jesse, is on uh, out doing apostolic works in unknown locations, undisclosed bunkers, working uh, to bring more souls into Christ in the light of truth. So it's just today, me and uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Clem, my good friend and mentor. Kyle, welcome back to the show. It's good to be on together with you. Hey, I've been looking forward to this, Dan. I, uh, I We miss Jesse, of course, but this is the first time you and I have, have flown this thing by ourselves, and so I put myself in your hands. All right. Now that you're, in, that, you're in a dangerous place. We would In flight school, <laughs> we actually, uh, you started flying on a Monday at uh, 10 a.m. I mean, one, I mean, a one-hour flight, an hour and 15 minutes. You would get an hour and 15 minutes. Your stick buddy got an hour and 15 minutes with an instructor. On the 10th day, the following Friday, the instructor got out. He waved goodbye, and you had to do uh, five patterns around the uh, the flight uh, the flight line. Um, you had to go five patterns around. That's your solo flight, and uh, boy, that'll that'll bring uh, that'll bring a little testosterone to you to your belly. You know, you <laughs> yeah. So so this is this is not nearly as bad as that. But uh, Jesse's always good because he's always good for a. Um, He's always good for a for to for a goof, you know. He's he's just a got a great sense of humor. But uh what I want yeah. to talk about today, what's going on with you, first of all? What's going on? We got we got training coming up uh in March. That's coming quickly. I'm getting emails for priests and others that want to come to our training. What else what else is going on with you? So we got a full calendar, full schedule. Uh for any of these details, you can go to www.montecristo, M-O-N-T-E-C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot net for the details but the close-up thing is we're having a week-long advent retreat uh pre-advent retreat actually it's just how to to make the most of this liturgical season and that's done under the reclamation theology moniker we've lost so much uh in our traditions and in our domestic church observance of various liturgical seasons um there's also the daily podcast reclamation theology podcast then you're right, Dan, we're moving, um, getting ready for these conferences. We will have an exorcist training, a mental health professionals training, a general practitioner training, a priest only retreat, all of these with Father Ripperger over in um, at the beautiful retreat center, Our Lady of Hope in Chattawa, Mississippi, all the details there. Um, it's and we highly encourage people too to think about sponsoring a priest. Um, many of these priests, especially coming to exorcist training, they're coming out of third world countries or bankrupt dioceses, um, and they don't have the funding. And so, um, it's a good opportunity for someone to sponsor either an exorcist priest or a GP priest. Um, so got a lot of interest, a lot of things happening. Um, you can go to that website. There's a general membership now, and there's a lot of things that are available on that website, audios, videos, PDFs, um, various articles, some unique talks by father that aren't anywhere else on the internet. So 
Um, highly recommend that if people are interested to go to that website, www.montechristo.net. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, and there's a lot of priests that that would love to go to the training and they just don't have the funding. Again, this money isn't going to go to you or me or father. This is going to just go to pay the cost for the retreat um, and and all the other expenses that it takes to put this on. So uh, I know we got priests, I think, coming this year from Germany um, that are looking for sponsorships. And we've got some other, again, third world countries, um, spiritually third world countries as well. So we, we need to, we need to support and get, get as many priests out there trained as we can, because at the, you and I know, um, they're the front line. They're the front line commanders. They're the lieutenants and captains on the front line of this battle. You and I are just ammo bearers. You and I are just just humping and working in support for the for the for our commanders, which is our front level priest. And as we know, the church is in a state of, you know, it's in a bit of a bit of disarray right now. Like any any battlefield, you're going to have these things. So supporting uh, our local our, our priest and getting them good training, uh, I think, is very important. So that's what's happening. So Monte Cristo and Libra Cristo work hand in hand. Just so, so people are clear monte cristo is kind of the organizational wing for the the the, the instructional side of which is libra cristo let's what i'd like to talk about today kyle is um the um the protocol um first the the logic of the protocol and then i want to get into after the first break i want to get into five five sins that 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 i see that are that are in cases of affliction um and that, uh, you know, uh, that we need to flesh out a little bit those five sins that I think are primary holding points, entry points and holding points kind of work hand in hand, two sides of a coin, if you will. Uh, and so I'd like to get into that. But first on the logic of the, the protocol, the first time that, that I was working with it years ago, um, you were talking about this protocol that you and father were developing. And at the time we had, a, the, you were talking about the importance of, of uncovering obstacles to grace. And so the initial, we have a four-phase protocol. The first pray, phase is a prayer discipline. Fair enough, six, twelve, six, et cetera. There's other prayers you can you can you can get those prayers at the App Store or Google Play. Um, or you can email uh, Monte Cristo or Libra Cristo as well. But after that, the second phase is a is a as a phase uh, of catechetical, where uh, you know catechetical couples couples mentor and walk with and and uh, the the afflicted. And that phase two is what the manual, uh, the Libra Cristo manual now is. But I remember starting you and I sitting down with a case and we pull out this trifold from the Fathers of Mercy on how to make a good confession. Um, and that was the first the first catechetical break that or manual that we used um, back then. Go give us a little background on the development of the protocol. So you're precisely right, Dan. I think that um, kind of look at a boxer analogy, if you will. Um, if a man decides he wants to box or MMA or, or combat arts, first thing he has to do is get in shape. That's phase one, um, rec requisite movement in the will, some discipline. Uh, so he has to get in shape. And then in phase two, what happens is he begins to spar a little bit with a mentor, with a coach. And what he's going to find is that, you know, suppose that that left jab gets through every single time. Well, here's how you defend why first of all why is that getting through and then here's how you build a defense um about it and so you're you're not yet offensive you're you're just this is how to you get in shape this is how to protect yourself 
And then you move over into phase three, and now you're actually engaging in some combat. You're actually throwing some punches. You understand what combinations are, how to read an opponent, um, et cetera. And then if you go to stage four, that's the title fight. But when you get that kind of analogy and, and understanding, we're focusing on phase two. Uh, we developed this, to, we call it uh, identifying impediments to grace. And what that means is these are the areas where grace is being blocked um, to some extent, occluded or even completely blocked, flowing into a vocation, into a person's life. And the demon is going to be present there. He's going to be all about that. Uh, usually that blockage is some type of sin or builds up around a sin, especially uh, an habitual mortal sin. And so what we developed over the years was these are the areas that are most um, likely to be impediments to grace. And so um, we organized that in descending order, and then you built the book around it, around those things, those lessons, um, so that when you start out in the book in those in those 12 lessons but you, you start out the identification uh of evil influences and so un unless you can recognize the evil influences in your life then you're just shadow boxing you're not really uh you're not really getting to uh you're not becoming diagnostic so identifying evil influences so what we found was is that in 100% of the cases, there was some blindness involved as a result of habitual mortal sin. Um, and then in, in descending order, um, you uh, organize the book around those areas. And so you work through there, identify those impediments to grace, address those impediments to grace, and try to get um, the person back into a functional Catholic life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the boxing, it's funny you use the boxing analogy. I, I was doing some catechesis with a case, um, and this is this couple's from Mexico, high level obsession, if not possession case. The husband's not engaging, which is typical. So, part of the protocol is reestablishment of order. Um, one of the things that you said uh, early on in our training was the demon response to the imposition of order as much as to the prayers themselves. And, and, and when you first said that, it really struck me. It was like, what? Because I was still living in this kind of uh, this idea that you just need to get the right prayer. You have to have the right combination of punches. And it doesn't work that way. You, you have to impose order and, and you weaken the demon. So this couple that I was working with not long ago, I said, look, uh, you're from Mexico, right? Right. You ever heard of a guy named Canelo Alvarez? They're like, yeah, we've heard of him. OK, so let's say you got to fight Canelo Alvarez. What chance do you have of winning? They said, the guy says, you know, the 60 year old construction worker, tired old guy. He said, I don't think there's any, any world that I could ever knock out and beat Canelo Alvarez. I said, all right, but let me, let me give you the rules of engagement. What we're going to do is we're going to, Canelo's got to run a 26 mile marathon before you get into the ring through the desert with no water and, and, uh, and in the summer heat. Now you get into the ring with him. Can you beat him? He said, well, I'd have a better chance. I said, all right, there's more rules. Canelo's got to put on 24-ounce boxing gloves, and you get to get into the ring with all of your family, and all of you are get, get to use baseball bats. Now, how, what are your chances against beating Canelo Alvarez? And he said, yeah, I think we could take him. I'm like, you're right, we can take him, but you got to weaken him first. You got to, you got to get him tired. 
And uh, this is the George Foreman that would pound his opponent's shoulders and make them, their arms black and blue before he went after the head. This is the grind of deliverance that I've learned over the years. What do you, what, what's your comment on that? Christo War College, we're back. My good friend, Kyle Clements. Jesse Romero is out doing apostolic works, unknown locations. Uh, typical spooky operative stuff. So we wish him safe travels. Hopefully he'll be back this afternoon or tomorrow. I'm covering also for, for Terry and Barber, uh, the Terry and Jesse show today. So, all right, Kyle, let's go back. My analogy on Canelo Alvarez, you, you got to weaken him. You got to beat him down. You got to make him fight by your rules, not his rules. What's your comments on that? You're precisely right. There's an old quote, all is fair in love and war, and this is both. Um, yeah. love of God, love of God and war against the adversary. And so you bet you pick up the ball, bats, the sticks, whatever you got, and you got to show up in mass. You got to overwhelm him. What he's wanting you to do. He's wanting to isolate you, get you weak, make you run the marathon, come at you when you are of lower, con lowered constitution, but you're precisely right. It is the prayer, the discipline that weakens the demon that exposes him. Um, and, there is no need in fighting a battle which is not a pitched battle. If you've got the opportunity to take the high ground, to pitch the battle, to bring superior armaments and forces, and you don't do it, um, then that's just that's ludicrous. You're you're destined to lose. And so we have too many we have too many um, assets at our disposal not to use them. Yeah, yeah. Um... So we're talking about, so part of the assets is uncovering obstacles of grace. And one of the key elements before we even get to those obstacles of grace and those key sins and key holding points, um, one of the phases, there's a six, six stages of liberation at one stage is called separation. And the problem is, is oftentimes we jump into prayer, exorcism teams jump into prayer and you have no separation. So the logic, part of the logic of the book is that in separation, what do we mean? Going back to the boxing analogy, Mike Tyson would not, guys would fight Tyson in, in his prime. It would just be one, two, one, two, grab, one, two, grab, one, two, grab. And they wouldn't let Tyson get, he would not get into range. And then Mike would figure it out that this is what they're doing. He would get just a couple of inches of separation and he was knocking guys out with just two, three inches of separation and a six inch uppercut. He was that powerful. So we've got to get that separation morally, from the, from habitual even habitual venial sins, unconfessed mortal sins, uh, um, um, psychologically, so they can start separating out the psychological trauma and the wounds, right? Uh, and and um, th those are key. Uh, and doctrinally, um, we have to get separation out from the false beliefs. So that separation needs to come because when they first come to us, they have no uh, the the deep cases have no separation from the demon. What you're half the time you're sitting down in session or in, in catechesis, you're talking. You know that there's another set of eyes and ears in the room, and so getting that separation is critical. You and I were in cases together where the person would come in and we'd sit down, and we I would first question I'd ask. We're waiting for the priest to come in. They couldn't even see the priest without manifesting. Um, now, now we have mass. We're following the, the Father Ripperker's model, and it completely works. But back then, we weren't. This is before the protocol. That I would always ask, "Did you go to mass this weekend?" No, I couldn't. The demon won't let me. Okay. Uh, uh, did you go to at least go to confession because that's a mortal sin? No, the demon won't let me. Then you pray for them. 
the, the you beat the deep priest beats the demon up and then at the end and then afterwards the retaliation is even worse because there's there's no separation there's no protection of the grace of the sacrament of, of of confession they're not in a state of grace their will is weak they're not ready for battle we're rushing them we're throwing them in with canelo and they're the one that had to run the marathon comments on that well you're exactly right and you had a key phrase there where the person says the demon won't let me go to mass and i'll this has been this is a key difference between the evangelical protestant model and the long-standing catholic successful model and that is this if you can't overpower the demon to go to mass you're not going to be liberated yeah and that's up to you that's not up to the priest that's not up to the church that's up to you so it's got to be movement in the will and your quote so good is that you know all at the end of the day all liberation is self-liberation the uh, the exorcist simply augments your free will but if you can't overpower the demon to get to mass you're not going to get liberated yeah here's the quote i put this quote in the introduction um father amorth uh who father ripperger considers a an approved author which is which is a theological term um that's more than just an expert um here's what he says that confession is stronger than exorcism one good confession is worth a hundred exorcisms the best exorcism is confession he said satan is more enraged when we take souls away from him through confession than we take away bodies through exorcism he asserts that penance is the most direct means to fight satan because it tears souls from the demon's grasp strengthens against sin unites us more closely to god and helps to conform our souls increasingly to the divine will and he says going back to what you were saying about the the, the kind of protestant model charismatic protestant model there's always a strong temptation. This is Father Gabriel Amorth. Uh, for charismatics, sensitives, and exorcists of finding the quickest way to heal by going outside the common sacred means of obtaining grace. Those that do that, he says, the common sacred means to obtain grace, they go outside of that. He said they unwittingly fall into the trap of superstition or magic. And so and we, we try to we try to look and uncover the, what are those common sacred means? The sacraments, number one prayer number two and and suffering and integrating your psychological trauma through through redemptive suffering vicarious uh voluntary vicarious atonement so these are the ordinary ways beginning with the sacrament of confession kyle you're precisely right and that's where the other models fail is anytime the sacraments are secondary or tertiary to the effort um then you it's technically it's not a catholic model which places the primacy on the on the sacraments and Amorth gives a very good father Amorth gives an extremely good insight into um the understanding that the demon may not possess the the soul he may possess the flesh but he does not possess the soul and at the end of the day liberation is not necessary for salvation yeah yeah you and i you know uh i, I remember a case called from another diocese they don't have an exorcist what do we do my the grandma is is she's obviously got demons all over her she's in hospice we need an exorcist can you send your exorcist right away and the answer was no you don't need an exorcist she needs a priest she needs any priest that can that can give her lat hear her final confession and give her last rites. That's what she needs. And she doesn't need an exorcist because you can you know getting them in a state of grace. And during COVID, I know we had several cases um, that died uh, 
you know, it shut down because of COVID. And then after COVID, um, the, these cases drifted off and some of them even died. And this is why I'm constantly telling the teams, you've got to focus on getting them into a state of grace. They can die in a state, they can die unpossessed in a state of mortal sin and, and, and spend eternity separated from God. They can die possessed in a state of grace. And they're going to take that demon with them for his, and he's going to receive his punishment at his death. So this, this is very critical for us to understand. Um, it really is. There's a wonderful image. Um, if you recall, um, I can't remember the the work, but there was a man fighting a dragon, a monster, whatever it was, and he he throws him over the cliff. And as the monster's falling to perdition, falling into the abyss, he grabs the man with his tail and the man goes over the cliff with him. In reverse, what happens is um let's say someone is possessed or obsessed they're in a state of grace they die in a state of grace they're going to drag that demon to particular judgment <laughs> that demon is going to show up with them looking into the eyes of the sacred heart and that's the last place he wants to be exactly that's why there's such a fierce fight i think that's from from the lord of the rings um uh, I, I, I'm not a, I don't remember exactly the characters, but the, it was the priest-like character that said, you shall not pass. And he put his, 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 uh, uh, his staff down and broke the, the, the pathway that the demon or the dragon was chasing him, but it was pulled down. But that's a great image. You're precisely right. It's, it's, we bring him, you know, you, uh, we bring him to particular judgment with us. And, and we start early now because, you know, you had a case that you've told, I've heard you tell the story where the, 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 whenever the demon would manifest in the person, she's in a state of grace, she's fighting back. They're going to a weekly session. She would just say, okay, let's go. And she would go over to the adoration chapel and force the demon to stand and look at the face of, of, of our Lord and Savior, our God, Jesus Christ in the, in the Holy Eucharist. So um, getting that to that, once we get to that point, they understand it's not about the demon. As you say very aptly, and I put it in the book, the demon is tertiary in spiritual combat. Flesh that phrase out for me. So what we mean by the demon is tertiary or third level. So the, the where we fall um, either to ourselves, the world, or the demon, and the demon is is third in any of that progression. So first of all is ourselves. Um, this is the greatest peril is we are our own worst enemy, our own fallen nature, our, our concupiscence, our predilection to, to sin. That's number one. And then number two is the pressures the world put puts on us or that we allow the world to put on us seeking the affirmation of men seeking the approval of men and then third is the demon and so what we find out more often than not is there is a damaged self-image there is a sense of entitlement there's something disordered about the relationship with self that's the primary the secondary is there's something disordered in the relationship with the world and then third, um, there's something disordered in their relationship um, with God through the sacraments, through the church, through the constructs of religion. And it's there that the demon's present. Okay, let's get into the sins now. Let's talk about entry points. Um, five particular sins that we see that are most common. Um, the first one that I would throw out, like you talk about, is is uh, the occult activity. So we've got to identify occult activity. A lot of our cases... Not every case. Sometimes the cases are very active parishioners. They're they're they work at the parish. They're communion ministers at the at the Novus Ordo Parish. They're electors. They're DREs. That's one I've seen a pattern. But you also see another pattern where you've got people that just come from really hard 
occult lifestyle. So occult activity, the violations of the first commandment, um, you use the phrase, the, the interactive diabolic activity, flesh out the difference between permission and right and the sin of the first commandment against the violation of the first commandment. So ultimately, if you've got a good confessor and if you're working your exam in the way you should, uh, your exculpatory, first of all, you're taking every sin back to thought. We confess sins of thought, word, and deed. Modernly, what happens is we're caught up in a psycho, uh, pop psychology model where the priests have been trained as counselors, not as confessors. And so they're only interested in deeds. Um, it, it's interesting. You can be in a group of young priests and you can talk about sins of thought and immediately the room gets quiet because they'll tell you that uh, if they were diocesan formed, that that's not part of the way they were trained to hear confession. They were trained uh, to be counselors, to be life coaches. Um, that's part of the degradation of priestly formation. <clears throat> but the point being, let me, let me cut you off there for a second, Kyle, because th this is a key point. Um, the the in the east, they you know going back to Evagrius Ponticus, they, the the eight logismoi, the eight evil thoughts, and so stopping evil in its tracks in the thoughts. And and how many times do do we hear in the confessional? Oh, it's a temptation is not a sin. I'd like you to flesh that out at the beginning of the next segment. Uh, but but temptation is not a sin, right? It, it, it's that's what they, and, and they're correct in that. But we need to we need to distinguish between the appropriation of evil thoughts and how thought leads to word and word leads to deed. We'll pick up after that at the next segment. You're listening to uh, uh, Libra Cristo War College, Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement, my good friend. We'll come back after the break. Okay, Libra Cristo War College, we're back. Me, uh, uh, Kyle Clement on the show today. Okay, let's pick up there, Kyle. Oh, by the way, I just got a text from one of our listeners that is Gandalf. I forgot I, I spaced that Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings that said, you shall not pass. And really, the exorcism in phase four, or even phase three, is the church saying, you shall not pass. Um, you shall not come near this sheep. Or, and, but the soul needs to get to that point as well and say, you shall not pass. Um, but go, I'm going to flesh that out before we get into the, 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 the into cult activity. How in the East, uh, I was just speaking with a, with a priest um, in the Eastern uh, Orthodox Church, and he was saying that, yeah, we know that the West, they don't emphasize thoughts, but we, going back to Evagrius, Ponticus, and the eight logismoi, the eight evil thoughts that tempt us. Kyle, comment on that? Yeah, so we were talking about modernly priests being trained as, as counselors and not as confessors, and so what happens is we're we're uh, encouraged to only address the deeds and to be released from culpability if we didn't act on it. You hear all the time, well, this person has homosexual tendencies, but they haven't acted out. Um, this is this is trying to stop the horse after he's shut the door after the horse is already out of the barn and at a full gallop. Once it's acted upon, um, you've lost any opportunity to mitigate, to stop, to uh, address culpability. That's a key point that you've got, that people have got to understand is, um, it is that thought, Eve's sin, the path to Eve's sin, and her path of sin starts with the thought. The first time that there is a thought that is deviant with the holy will of God, that is inconsistent with the holy will of God, which is union between creature and creator. The moment there is that deviant thought, 
we are charged to um, take custody of that thought, banish that thought, um, practice strict custody of the mind, ensure the purity of thought, because we confess sins of thought, word, and deed. Thought progress uh, proceeds word, which proceeds deed. And then if you overlay the, the Holy Trinity, the God, the unseen God, God of thought speaks Christ, and it is, and his work in mercy is perpetuated through the charity of the Holy Spirit. So there is this progression of thought, word, and deed, this Trinitarian uh, movement from the unseen to the seen, from the intangible to the tangible. And so the demon watches for this movement uh, within us. And so we'll often telegraph things before we speak. How many times do you read people's expression? Um, that's when that thought is first being manifest in an outward expression. But it's already done evil or dark work in, in the interior because it's already negated charity. All sinful thought negates charity, negates love of God, and that's what takes us back to that first commandment transgression. Every single sin is a first commandment transgression. And so we do well when the man is, is quote, struggling with pornography, we do well to ask him, when is the, when did you first think it was permissible to break a vow that you made in front of God and witnesses? When was your first deviant thought that says you were entitled? Uh, to look at this type of thing. And so this is Christ speaking in, in the Gospel of Matthew. If a man looks upon a woman with lust in his heart, uh, he's committed adultery. This, this, this is very straightforward language, and it doesn't need a lot of Jesuitical interpretation. So what comes to mind too, Kyle, is the imprecatory Psalms. We've lost this. We've kind of expunged those from, from the modern vocabulary and liturgy. But, you know, David said, may the Lord crush the skulls of the babies of my enemy, of my enemies. May he crush their skulls of the babies. And that seems very harsh. But the, in the monastic tradition, this was very clear uh, uh, um, that the, the, the who are my enemies? My enemies are the vices. My, en my enemies, my enemies are, are the evil works. Uh, my enemies are spiritual things. My enemy are the, 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 the deadly sins. What are the en what are my the babies of my enemy? that that's those are the early movements before that that movement of of impurity rises up and becomes a full-fledged goliath crush it while it's young and how does what does he he pray upon the rock the rock is a name of god now christ is the rock right and so crushing those evil thoughts early on is, is very important so so uh, uh um before it grows into a full stature you're exactly right if if eve picks up a stick and crushes the right. small serpent in the garden, then Mary doesn't face the dragon in the apocalypse. Amen. Amen. All right, let's talk about how we let we we make we make deals with that small serpent. Uh, I'm going to give you two statements, uh, two or three statements. Number one, Father Morth, every form of magic is practiced with recourse to Satan. So there's no such thing as white magic or black magic. Catechism 2114, idolatry consists in divinizing what is not God. Man commits idolatry whenever he honors and reveres a creature in the place of God, whether this be gods or demons, and in so doing rejects the lordship of God. And so we, so I, I list off in the book from Father Bamante, who was the former president of the International Association of Exorcists, um, everything from tarot cards, Ouija boards, uh, uh, um, any form of witchcraft, superstition, occult practices, being present at with psychics, fortune tellers, amulets, talismans, mediums, sorcerers, 
tarot card readers, witches, uh, having attempted these things, accompanies these things, uh, Reiki, uh, even transcendental meditation, certain forms, new age practices, spiritual cleansings, voodoo, uh, membership in secret societies, satanic groups. These are all violations of the first commandment. These are how of recourse to Satan. And the Satan, the Satan, I mean, the, the devil will take that as a permission to be there, right? So um, he also at list alienating vices, alcohol, abuse, drugs, sexual perversion, and blasphemy. So, so um we see in the radical form violations of the first commandment as one of the most obvious entry points and holding points for the enemy. That's precisely right. And you use the term correctly, divination, and that is the um, attributing to something other than the one true God, um, something divine, something supernatural. Anytime you attribute any of that to creature uh, or the artifices or, uh, or accoutrement of a creature, then you've committed the sin of divination. Um, idolatry is another term. But now this is something that is interesting because of these transgressions. This is not a gradation. This is a mortal sin by incident, by its occurrence, not by its gradation. So technically one could not, quote, dabble uh, in the occult or in divination because you, it, you either are or you're not. And so this is there's no venial category for this. This is uh, it's grave matter by its simple occurrence. Yeah. So what I see, uh, what I see working cases as well as that you've got first commandment, sixth commandment, first commandment violation. Uh, these are these, this seems to be the one to knockout. As Father points out, Father Ripker points out that one mortal sin is sufficient for possession. But God is so merciful. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen that, um, but it's extremely, extremely rare. Oftentimes, it's that combination of the of some form of occult witchcraft and then some grave violation deviant sexual behavior so the first thing that i would say is the first entry point is that but part of those alienating vices that father Bamonte talks about deviant sexual behavior so talk about impurity and deviant sexual behavior as an entry point and a holding point for the evil one so you use the term um alienable offenses um to alienate and, and I think it's important, you're, it's very descriptive, but what it alienates or what it divides or what the diabolic effect is, it's the, it is the separation of creature from creator at the will. And so the, will, the creature's will is now no longer joined to the will of the creator. And so there's, and he's alienated uh, from God the Father, from his creator. This will require reconciliation. This is not repairable except through a sacrament. And so this is very important to, to realize is that it will require a sacrament, if not multiple sacraments, to, and it, it, you can't repair the damage. It is a reconciliation. Um, you can address the sin. You can address the act. But this is what is so very, very important is when we want to distance ourselves from reality or from providence, we're rejecting God. Um, the demon certainly sees it this way. We may not. It, for us, it's an aversion to suffering. It's an aversion to vocation. It's an aversion to whatever it may be. Right. First, first commandment transgression, like you say. But the one-two punch is now he, not only does he deny God, but he elevates himself and serves self. That's the sixth commandment violation, all the rest of those violations. He now has placed himself as God. So there's the one-two punch is there is a denial and then there's a supplanting. And those are two different things. Yeah. So so 
uh, on impurity, um, St. Alphonsus calls uh, impurity and sexual deviancy hell's widest gate. And when you talk to priests today, they're, they're, they're not going to give you details of the confessional, but they will nod their heads. Um, and, and some priests, when you talk about the most common sin is impurity, and um, some priests have said is 80% of what they're hearing um, is uh, uh, in the confessional are sins of impurity. And these are these are Catholics trying to break free of that. So so the, the sexual deviancy is another huge one that's got to be addressed. You've got to get the sexuality completely under control. There's a lot of confusion out there. If you understand, uh, you talk about the, the Father Bamante uses the phrase alienating vices. That, that word alienation is, is very critical to understanding what sin does. I remember from my moral theology days uh, of studies that sin is a fourfold alienation, and all that needs to be restored. If we think about re uh, the definition of liberation is, 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 is reconciliation with God the Father through Jesus Christ and, and has to be in through the sacraments. So the first of the four alienations that take place is alienating us from God. Um, so we get alienated from God. We get alienated from others, right? We commit sin. We break our relationships and create alienation with others. Uh, alienation from our even our own environments, our our, our 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 own activities in the world and society. And finally, and ultimately, alien, not ultimately, but ultimately with God, but with ourselves. So God, self, others, and our environment. That's the fourfold effect of sin and sexual deviancy. You see that. You see the effect of sexual deviancy. How it creates this this gap between you and yourself ultimately that restoration with god the father sacramentally brings back all these areas into right order and that is just it, there's a lot of spade work and grunt work that needs to take place in the second phase to create that reconciliation post sacramental very very well said i think that one of the things that people lose sight of is that when you're alienated from god when you're alienated from God, you're also alienated from the entire church triumphant, the entire heavenly host, all the angels, all the saints. You're, you're alienated. You're alienated from not only God, but all who serve God. Exactly. From the church. All right. Uh, the Libra Cristo War College. We'll wrap on that. We'll come back after the break and pick up the three other uh, uh, common sins we see. Okay, Wednesday War College. Welcome back. Hi, I'm, I'm Dan Schneider. I'm talking to our my good friend and mentor, Kyle Clements. We're talking about five principal sins that we see in our protocol, Libra Cristo protocol, that we need to work on that become entry points, but also holding points for the diabolic. So far, we've said the occult, any occult activity, violation of the first commandment, the one-two punch, the second on the heels of that often is deviant sexual behavior, what St. Saint, Saint Alphonsus Liguori calls hell's widest gate. Uh, within that, here's some other ancillary sins that come with that, according to uh, Gregory the Great. St. Gregory the Great says that when the general, he talks about the the the, the general, uh, each each of these major, uh, um, these, these vices uh, have, are generals, and they have other uh, so forces underneath them fighting. These are some of the companion vices that come with that, um, which are sins, by the way, going back to our last conversation. Blindness of mind thoughtlessness, inconsiderate towards others, inconstancy, inability to control emotions, thought in relation to the events of life, rashness, behaving too quickly or rashly without thinking, self-love, 
hatred of God, love of this world, affection for the present world, and attachment to worldly things and events, and abhorrence or despair of a future world, dread for the future, lack of hope, lack of hope in God. You see that we have the demon or the general of, of, of impurity, which Alphonsus calls the hell's widest gate. Now, uh, Gregory the Great says it has companion vices that come with that. And if you look at those companion vices, you're kind of describing this generation uh, in many ways. Kyle? You, you, you certainly are. And, and I think that that's a, if you look at some of Father Ripperger's talks on um, the sixth generation, the zeitgeist, you, you see how there are particular sins that a, that a generation may be more susceptible to. But at the end of the day, this even this offers even another layer of the, for an opportunity of, of sanctity to go counter culture, to go counter. Uh, when we talk about the demon being tertiary, the first one is the, the person, our own concupiscence, our own fallen nature. And then the world, the zeitgeist or the weakness of an age actually operates in those where those two meet um, is what are the the sins of a of a particular generation that we're blind to that we're we're subject to fall to that we're particularly vulnerable and then look at how the world um, pushes those sins if you will or um, makes those sins culturally acceptable fashionable whatever you want to whatever you want to call it um, those two working in concert um, are particularly um, troublesome. Uh, is the I guess as good a word as any. Yeah, here's one that here's one that surprises people. Sin number three: unforgiveness. Um, lack of forgiveness, as I put this in the book, is a major obex which burdens the soul and restricts the flow of grace. A hardened unrepentance and failure to see your own faults is the first obex which must be removed. And so oftentimes when we're dealing with cases, uh, you know, we even put this in the book. Who are the three people that you find most hard to forgive? Because because we can we can undercover that we can start to discover the psychological traumas, uh, past events that need to be integrated uh, and, and, and healed and through through redemptive suffering and sacramental reconciliation. Talk a little bit about unforgiveness and how that becomes a both an entry and a holding point. A very good topic. It, 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 so we go to the Our Father, first of all, to see the operative theological principle. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we're not in the business of charity, if we're not in the business of mercy, then we can't expect it as a remuneration. We can't respect it, expect it coming to us if it's not coming from us or through us. A very simple metaphysical relationship. Um, we cannot confect grace. We can merely convey grace. Um, and so one of the things I think that is a sobering statement when you make it to people they haven't they don't think of it they don't um, think this way is if you are feeling the effects of a curse if you are feeling the effects of a curse the chances are 99 out of 100 that this is why there's an unforgiveness there's an animosity there is a held grudge there it it doesn't have to be vicious it doesn't have to be active you don't have to be setting out to destroy the person but if there is a lack of charity toward any soul if you can't exchange the peace of christ with any human on the face of the earth then to that extent you are vulnerable to a curse um, the curse will have no effect on a holy man it, it 
doesn't mean that it won't have an effect on a mostly holy man. The curse, everybody wants to break the curses that someone's sinning against them. Someone's cursed them, and they want to break the curse. That is not near as important as correcting the vulnerability. And 99 out of 100 vulnerabilities which allow a curse to be effective are some form of unforgiveness. Right. And this is why, uh, uh, you, you know, the light of Christ prayer is so important um, that you that, that that you wrote. It's a beautiful prayer. May the light of Christ be upon this person, that they see themselves as the heavenly father sees them. And I see him as the father sees him. You're inviting Christ into that construct to wash away with the light of truth all the unforgiveness and all the misconceptions and in in distorted uh, um distorted perceptions the apathy uh, uh disappropriate emotions high, you know high inconstancy and emotionality bringing the light of Christ in that scenario is very very important to to bring uh forgiveness of course and confessing that unforgiveness right confessing that unforgiveness is very important if you're only confessing the carnal things um, and you're riddled with un unforgiveness, that's a thought. That's an evil thought too, right? So we have to confess the holding point of unforgiveness. Well said, uh, because it it is mostly, in, in most of the churchgoers, those who participate in a sacramental life, um, most of the sins of unforgiveness are sins of thought. Uh, they don't, people don't act on them. Um, there's not a tangible act, but there's sins of thought. And this is what blackens the heart. This is what darkens the intellect. This is what takes the joy out of, uh, out of life. And so a lot of obsession, uh, I mean, a lot of oppression begins with this, uh, this unforgiveness. And it can be geared toward God. It can be a sense of entitlement, a sense of denial. Um, but the, oftentimes we see this as the stepping off point, if you will, the deviation from the path of the straight and narrow, uh, the pursuit of the good. This is often the first deviant step is to allow yourself to uh, harbor some unforgiveness, some resentment. Then number four, that comes on the heels of unforgiveness, which is something that was also surprising uh, to many people, that this is an entry, but also especially a holding point. Offensive against, offenses against the truth and the sin of detraction. Um, you know, you've used the phrase, the devil looks for the mouth that blesses and curses. Explain about the, the importance. And this is, I found, um, going to the catechism and using this as an examination of conscience, offenses against the truth, is a good preparation for the sacrament of penance. But explain explain a little bit more about the, the offenses against the truth as one of the holding points uh, uh, for the demon. So, that, yeah, this is, uh, this is an area that is extremely common. Most all of our cases have some element to this. Um, and what it amounts to is, is it is the confessing of, of the sins of others. Um, we do no good to confess the sins of others because if we confess the sins of others, it often blinds us to our own sin, our own culpability. But here's the real problem with Catholics, especially in this modern age, is that we have a higher responsibility. We have a higher obligation to the truth, the integrity of the truth, because for us, the truth, capital T, is a person. That is Jesus Christ. And so our relationship with the truth, just like our relationship with the Holy Ghost, the Blessed Mother, our relationship with these concepts and these people and these individuals is different than the rest of the world, the non-Catholic world, because they are personified for us. And so offenses against the truth, when we commit these, we scourge our Lord. We, we offend our Lord specifically. 
Now, here's the big departure point is that secularly, we're told that we can say anything, anytime to anybody if it is factually correct, if it is, quote, the truth. And that's a misuse of the word truth. But if it's factually correct, and this is, in fact, the um, the defense to slander, detraction, calumny, all these things can be defended modernly and secularly if they are factually correct. But we as Catholics are held to a much higher standard. The fact that it is factually correct does not mean that we should or could say it with impunity. Yeah, yeah, and no. so gossip, yeah. g- gossip, detraction, slander, this is a sin to which we are blind in the, in the West, particularly in this country. No, absolutely. We, we see this even in, in Catholic media circles. You see just just broad uh, calumny, you know, like you like you have said that that the, the foyers of our churches are places of slaughter. You know, we we the, the devil looks for the mouth that blesses and curses. So we we bless the Lord through praise and, and honor and worship at mass. We receive our Lord on our tongues. Then we walk out and we completely commit spiritual murder, you know, by by, by detracting against our neighbor. Uh, um, and or, or, or slamming the priest for that terrible homily and or whatever. We have to be very, very careful because the devil's looking for that, that inconsistency. So catechism 2475 to 2487, take a look at that and do it. That's a good, again, a good examination of conscience. The last thing, number five, you, uh, another phrase, like another Clementine phrase, this, the demon enters through sin and holds through heresy. Explain the connection between heresy and uh, entry points and diabolic uh, holding points in cases of of oppression. So this holding point, this attachment is going to be some lie, some falsehood or ignorance that the human and the fallen angel, the demon share. Uh, the, The demon knows the truth, but he wants to push this because this is his leverage. This is the talking point, if you will, uh, a point of psychological compatibility between the demon and the human. And so an example of this is that in each and every possession case we've had, there's been at least one defective Marian dogma. There's been one dogmatic truth about the Blessed Mother that the person either doubted or disbelieved. And so that's why we use the word heresy, meaning as an untruth, not a uh, perhaps a canonical heresy, but an untruth, a falsehood, or um, a, a failure to understand that it's an article of the faith. These are the points where the demon and the human are psychologically compatible. And when you identify those, then it's up to the human to correct these defects, thereby uh, severing the communication on this topic with the demon. So let's summarize, Kyle. Big points, they all kind of go work in together. Violations of the First Commandment, occult activity, deviant sexual behavior, sexual immorality, unforgiveness, detractions and offenses against the truth, and finally, heresy. These are the holding points of the diabolic. So what is the antidote? This is why uh, um, Saint, or Father, Father Amor says that the Virgin Mary is the antidote to Satan in our times. So she is she is a pure worship. She, she is... She, she is the answer. Let's go back to her. Let's continue to go back to Our Lady. So we thank you for listening in today. Kyle, thanks for coming on. I'm, uh, uh, we'll see you hopefully next week together. Uh, tune in tune in for the next program. I think Gary Machuda's next and then the Terry and Jesse show. Uh, again, thank you for coming in. Thanks for listening. God bless you. Stay holy, get holy, or die trying. <laughs>